welcome to We Met Your Mondays with Nancy podcast. Get inspired. Break through to new dimensions with your entrepreneurial peers on the journey of self-leadership, mastery, and life success. Redefine how you lead as you redesign your business. I call this dual innovation leadership. You can take charge of who you next become. Feel more deeply to think, act, lead, and mentor more clearly and effectively. Discover something new from our meaningful conversation today. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Say, I've got a great guest mentor for you today. It's Skip Fowler. We've had three podcast conversations prior to this. He's had some major changes that have happened in his life. We learned that in December of 2019, as Skip is building his third uh, multi-million dollar venture. He purchased his 25th and last acquisition, an eight-unit complex brownstone apartment building that was built in 1890 by the Cathedral in St. Paul, Minnesota. Skip enjoyed 20-plus years of renovating and restoring these 100-year-old apartment complex, making each complex a standout in the neighborhood. He describes himself as the opposite of a slumlord, investing to make everything appealing from the curbside to each building's inside. Skip's attention to detail was apparent with the purchase of his 25th property, too. Original photographs from the late 1800s of the brownstone properties were adorned in the hallways and entryways, giving a personalized touch. Beautifully landscaped yards with mum-filled planters outside the buildings in the fall changed seasonally to make it feel good. New vintage light work, 100% wool carpets, restoring the house and preserving past woodwork are just a few examples of Skip's effort for each tenant to help them feel like this is their home. A crowning blow happened in 2020 when that year turned into a liquidating year instead of an expansive one for Skip and his family. When a confluence of events induced a stress-related wake-up call, the coronavirus pandemic hit. Riots in Minneapolis and St. Paul, a growing adverse political climate towards Minneapolis businesses, and to some extent in St. Paul created a hostile environment and a no-win situation for business property owners. Skip and his wife Jill made a huge decision. And what was that, Skip? Hi, welcome to We Mentor Mondays. We made a decision at that time, uh, Nancy, to start to look at liquidating the real estate that we uh, enjoyed uh, over the years of acquiring, fixing up, and renting out, uh, which, as you mentioned, comprised 25 apartment buildings and over 400 apartment units. And once you made the decision, what was the process that you kind of went through in making the decision? It was not something that I thought about for a very long time. I, and I really did not decide to sell all the properties in the beginning. Uh, I started with a plan to liquidate the Minneapolis. I had eight properties in Minneapolis and the remaining 17 were uh, in St. Paul. And I had been doing some work ahead of time uh, because I, because of the advent of rent control on the horizon, I thought, well, maybe what I'll do is sell the Minneapolis properties and buy more in St. Paul because at that time, St. Paul had been more friendly. So I had, uh, prior to the uh, coronavirus uh, starting in the United States, I'd hired a company by the name of JLL and a uh, broker by the name of Dan Linnell that I had known for the 
previous 10 years, I always said if I was ever going to sell anything, I, I said this to myself, I would hire him because he, uh, he just had the qualities I was looking for. And he was, he was great. Uh, we devised a plan and started selling them one at a time. We tested the market basically. And to my surprise, it was a lot better than I anticipated. And the reason we had picked Minneapolis again was because of the advent to rent control. George Floyd was killed. Government was not protecting our property rights, private property rights, and uh, crime was on the increase in creating problems in the areas where we owned the buildings, which was basically all of Minneapolis. That's really kind of explained, you know, a little bit where I where I had come from uh, in terms of why I did what I did. Yeah, a very painful and, decision. Yeah, it was. But, you know, after I got done with Minneapolis, I started feeling good. Okay. <laughs> all, the, all the things that had happened were starting to uh, get worse. And uh, so I, then that, what I did is I started selling my smaller buildings in St. Paul. I didn't really want to liquidate everything. Uh, initially. And when I started selling the properties in St. Paul, I was getting higher than anticipated prices. Uh, as you know, every business person has to keep a balance sheet. And I had a valuation put on all the properties, which I felt was pretty realistic, but conservative. And I was selling the properties for over what I had uh, thought that they were worth on the balance sheet. But then not only did rent control be, appear on the horizon in St. Paul, but they wanted to put a 3% cap on rents each year. In other words, anybody that you could never raise any, any apartment unit itself over 3%. So when I decided after selling 10 properties to bundle, I bundled the last seven as a package. Actually, I had a purchase agreement from two fellows. They owned a company called Housing Hub, and it was for $17 plus million, which once you get up into that category, the number of buyers start to disappear because of the inability to be able to raise the funds to do that. So when I looked at the different offers that I had, and they were the last three buildings I had, I didn't look at necessarily the highest price, but I looked at the one that I thought that people would be able or buyers would be able to perform. And Dan had assured me that he thought they would uh, they would be able to perform at closing. So again, it wasn't the highest price. It was to make sure that the deal could go through. So anyway, that's kind of where I ended up with. So. Wow. And what did our prior podcast conversations have to do with selling the last properties, seven properties that you bundled together and sold to one buyer? Interesting is the guys <laughs> that uh, uh, Joe Collins and Tom Gallagher with Housing Hub uh, bought these properties. And after that, I we had, because that was the last of the properties that I had sold, I was basically fully liquidated at that time. I took out to dinner. I took the real estate agent and my property management company and Joe and Tom, uh, different people that were involved in the process went out for dinner. And Joe was sitting across from me at the table and from dinner. And he says, Skip, he says, I wanted to tell you that uh, one of the main reasons I bought your properties was because I had heard uh, he was out running uh, one morning and he had the podcast. He had Googled my name and up came the podcast unbeknownst to me. And uh, in there, there were some things that he 
liked my philosophy of maintaining, running and maintaining buildings. And that's what really was kind of, I guess, the crowning blow that uh, made him decide on buying these properties. Because there were some other properties that were for sale, similar uh, similar properties in terms of the age of buildings and where they were. But because of my philosophy, which was brought across in the podcast, uh, he decided to go after the ones that I had. And uh, fortunately for me, and the deal you know, went through and the rest is history. Wow. You know, this is one of the reasons why I'm, you know, doing the podcast, because I just feel like when you have meaningful conversations with people, it brings them out, you know, it brings out, you know, your thought processes and your core values and, and how you make decisions. And it's very helpful for people to understand, you know, those aspects of, you know, who you are. Exactly. And, um, yeah, it, it, uh, at first, you know, you, there's a lot of things that I say in there that, you know, I'd speak from the heart and uh, apparently he uh, agreed with them and he wanted to, he wanted those, the buildings that I spent a lot, a lot of my time taking care of and uh, brought, you know, he, he was able to perform and uh, consummate the deal. So it was a good deal for both of us. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm so happy that happened, and I could play one tiny little part in it. Oh, you played a big part. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got three uh, adult children, Tim, George, and Sarah. What did they think about your decision? Well, at first, they were probably, I think, a little apprehensive of uh, what I was doing. Of course, they didn't understand. You know, they... They were on the outside, especially Sarah, because she doesn't really wasn't involved in it at all. But uh, I know that George and Tim, uh, Tim, George never said anything, but Tim said he was disappointed because I had been grooming both of them to basically take over the manager of the properties once uh, I felt the time was right so that they could transition into running them. But as time went on, once they understood my thought press process, they were fully on board because what I would have done is left not a mess, but basically a very uncertain future because of the way the city, and, and in, in this case, actually, St. Paul became more of a culprit because of their 3% cap. Can you imagine trying to run your business, and somebody says you can only raise your revenue 3% and your expenses are going up between 5 and 30%. Our utilities were going up 30%. The taxes were going up 15%. And then they they have, they have can increase taxes 15 20%, but we as the landlord can't increase our rent by more than 3%. It's so hypocritical. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I, I you know, it makes me wonder, yeah, and why aren't they talking more to business owners instead of just focusing on the residents? I mean, doesn't it have to be like all conversations, all players represented um, in the decision making? Well, I, I think it's bottom line as it goes down to we are the minority uh, as a business owner or property owner. Uh, we don't command the vote that, say, 20 renters do. And what the renters don't realize is that if you start to decrease the revenue that comes in, there is an inability on the landlord's part to be able to improve the property and you end up with a slum. And that's what exactly is going to happen. And the other thing is, is it stops new construction. And that's already been proven. New construction in St. Paul is down 80%. So, you know, the writing's on the wall, so to speak. 
Yeah, exactly. You also, during this time, made another huge decision. You've been a longtime resident of Minnesota, and that all changed in 2021. So once you started selling off properties, you and Jill made this decision uh, to move to Florida. How is that going? Yeah. Uh, oh, it's going great. Um, but basically, <laughs> uh, I mean, it couldn't be better. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel very fortunate. I feel very blessed, lucky, and relieved. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that that I got to this particular point. But uh, you know what happened was is we had, you know, as I said, it was an experiment in selling the buildings. You know, this was a month after the uh, riots and everything else that was going on. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And when I put them up for for sale, um, I found out that I could sell them. And so the experiment. <laughs> kept on moving forward and as I was looking at everything and analyzing things, I started thinking, well, we go to Florida every month and rent down there for two or three months. Why don't we take a look and maybe uh, buy a home down there? Well, in the past, this was never on my radar. Uh, because of the ties of the real estate investments and friends and family I had in Minnesota prevented me from even thinking about it, especially ties with real estate. But at first I was going to keep my residency in Minnesota, but after looking at you know, the total picture. It just made sense to me to work out a deal, uh, which we did with our oldest son to take over the Lakeville residence. He was already getting out of Minneapolis. He had had it up to his ears and he was selling his home. And I approached him. I said, well, why don't you... Uh, live in our house, take care of it, and we'll work out a deal so that it's beneficial to both of us. And it could be a win-win situation because when we, you know, we come back to visit, we could be a place to stay, and the house would be kept in the family, and uh, it just made a lot of sense. <laughs> the other thing that happened was is um, really I can thank the state of Minnesota. They they really did help me tremendously because some of the things that were I started to look at was you know lack of the big thing I think was well, law and order protection, you know, property protection during the riots after, and then the rent control that was brought on by uh, by the vote in November of twenty one. Yeah, twenty one. Yeah, yeah. I get years mixed up. And then, and then we came down to we came down to Florida, and uh, first thing we had to do was is, uh, get a new driver's license. I went in, get my driver's license, and register to vote, and it took me twenty minutes. From the time I got up to the window, got my picture taken, and walked out of the premises with my driver's license in hand and a voter's registration card. I don't know if you've tried to do that in Minnesota, but it's usually a two, three, four month process. And you're lucky if you get it in the mail in that period of time, you know. Then I looked at, uh, I looked at state income taxes. I looked at inheritance tax. I looked at all of these things. And uh, I said, there's just no reason to keep me here other than, you know, my family and friends, which I, I that's the hard part of it. Yeah. And, but one, one of our sons, Tim, ended up leaving the state anyway prior to this. And so we were really down to George. And, um, you know, and like I say, as everything worked out in the transition with him uh, taking over the house and so on. So... Yeah, because Sarah's out east already, right? She's out Philly, and yeah, we're all over the place. I'm in Florida. Tim's, or Jill and I are in Florida. Tim's out in, uh, him and his wife Krista are out in Washington. Sarah and Sean are in Philadelphia. George is in Minneapolis. You couldn't be spread more apart. We're like a T. Okay, <laughs> so you drew, if, you drew, if you drew a line through the spots we're on a map, it makes a T for following. So <laughs> <laughs> There you go. It all comes together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Connects to the family. Right. 
So this wasn't the first house that you built from scratch, um, which George is living in the, the first house that you built. What did you learn about this time? I And then you moved down there and all of a sudden you've got, you know, this huge Hurricane Ian that touches down in September um, and hits Florida. So what were you what were you experiencing during the, the building of the house and did you make it in time to finish to protect yourself from the hurricane? Uh, good question. In this process of building this house in Florida, I learned the art of patience and inspection of every detail of the building process. Before I was unconsciously incompetent, I didn't know what to even look for when we built our house back in 90, I think it was 1991. We'd actually, that, that was the third house we had built. Oh, the third. And okay. I never, I, yeah, uh, we had built one in Burnsville when we first got married, lived there for five years, and another one for I don't know how many years, and then moved to Lakeville. Those first three processes were pretty simple. We built the house, it was done in 90 to 120 days, and we moved in. We didn't really get involved in the details in, in this one here, which was, by the way, I never thought I'd ever build a house again. And I never, never in my life ever thought I'd build a house with a pool. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a, I built a house again and it's got a pool only because you, in Florida it's just, it's a necessary evil. But uh, what we learned was is the supply chain problems that businesses were having. We were part of that problem in trying to build a house. I'll give you an example. We ordered a dishwasher in March of 2021 and did not get it until September of 2022. Okay. Oh my goodness. It took us that long to get a dishwasher. We, we also learned that not uh, all windows are created equal. We had windows put in three times before they did not leak. Okay. We still have a number of issues, but they're, they're minor relative to, you know, the overall project. Quality of workmanship um, is not what we had expected. Okay. But at the same time, we understand because of all the shortage of labor and so on that uh, it, it is what it is. And thank God for the Hispanics. Okay. Because if there were not Hispanics in Florida, we wouldn't have a house because there's nobody else. That's all the, they, they do all the work and they are very conscientious. They're hard workers. There's just not enough, you know, labor to go around for the demand down here. It's like our builders said two thirds of the United States is trying to move down. Here. So, but during the hurricane, uh, we fared quite well. We lost part of our pool screen. We were on the, we were five miles inland. Uh, we didn't, we, you know, we had a hundred plus mile an hour winds, but it just, it basically tore up some of the screen. But the good thing that came from all of this was we moved in two weeks before the hurricane had uh, hit. And this was our first hurricane. Is this by Fort Myers? Yeah, we're, uh, we are seven miles from Fort Myers Beach. Okay. okay. And our niece and her husband, our nephew and their son, uh, were in a condo in Fort Myers beach on the ninth floor and wrote it out they said they will never do that again <laughs> that was quite an experience oh. and anyway they got out after three days we we didn't we didn't lose our electricity or our power we were one of the few we, for some reason we were selected not to lose it which was good we we did lose our internet we lost telephone for coverage but there was a place we could go to get the coverage 
and we'd call her every two days, or Jill would call her twice a day. Finally, on the third day, they were able to get out. They were transported out, and we had the house. They were homeless, so they've been living with us since the hurricane. So it was a blessing for them, and it was a blessing for us because uh, they've just been great to have at the house, and we're we're blessed that we can help them uh, move forward. So, And it looks like they are going to probably be moving into an apartment here in the next week or two in Fort Myers Beach. They're finally getting some electricity back, but their their building probably won't be completed for quite a while before they get things done. So everything works for a purpose, and um, that was one of those things that everybody benefited from. So. Yeah, well, that's a beautiful thing, and it's a good way to start 2023. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been uh, taking advantage of the beach life at all? No. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) No, you you don't. There's not much. You know, the problem is is, uh, there's so much debris, and the water is unstable around you know, where all this has happened that oh, sure. we, just, yeah. we haven't gone down. We we went down there like the day after the hurricane. We couldn't get down because there were boats in the road and, you know, just all kinds of crazy things. But uh, Joe Collins, who the I told you, we sold him and Tom uh, Gallagher our last seven buildings. They both own places on Fort Myers Beach. We ended up staying, and this is another thing, last year we we were supposed to have our house done in December of 2021, and we didn't have places to stay. And I called Joe up, and uh, I've gotten to know those guys both very, you know, quite well. And Joe rented us his his uh, property in Fort Myers Beach last March, so we got to know that area pretty good. Uh, I talked to him after the hurricane, and his house was like the only one standing in the neighborhood because it had just been built a couple of years prior to. And uh, but it's still you know a lot of you know a lot of damage done all around. Yeah, it uh, it was it was quite it was quite devastating and quite humbling for those people that lived there. Yeah, yeah. So the cleanup is still going on, and um, oh yeah, yeah. Things will continue to get better as the season kind of of twenty twenty three kind of moves into yeah, spring. It's interesting because our nephew is uh, he is on the city council there, and he's one of still five city council members, and he was. He was, he's very well connected in the federal and, and local politics. And um, he just played, he's been just unbelievable in getting things done there. So we've been able to see it from afar through his eyes. And uh, he's, he's really made a difference. And uh, it's kind of neat to see that. So, yeah, the next generation kind of taking over the leadership and doing well at it. Yeah. Well, very good. Um, I was wondering if we could have another conversation. I would like to talk about, I don't know. I've been thinking about, you know, change and how much change entrepreneurs go through in the span of their lifetime. And you've, you've been through a lot. Um, And I was interested in your perspective on, on the, both the, the changes that we initiate and the changes that are forced upon us. Are you up for it? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> we'll give it a shot. <laughs> that sounds great. All right. Well, thanks so much for being a guest mentor and sharing your wisdom with the rest of us. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. And um, we'll see you all next week. Be 
you want to expand your leadership skills and become more resilient and competent as a business owner? Do you want to bring more meaning to your relationships and more purpose to your business? Are you ready to take charge of how you innovate, create, and run your business? Our dual innovation leadership process will help you redefine how you lead as you redesign your business. We collaborate with you to do what will work for you as you evolve and change. We start with where you are, whether you are turning around a financial crisis, growing to the next level, or somewhere in between. We address your immediate needs, shore up business development gaps, expand relational literacy, and build upon your entrepreneurial leadership skill sets with the short-term results orientation and a long-term perspective. Start by subscribing to this podcast at WeMentor.com or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you are ready to hire a mentor, contact me at Nancy at WeMentor.com. When we mentor, you create better life and a more fulfilling future as an entrepreneurial leader slash innovator as a competent business owner slash practitioner as a mentor slash role model and as a human being courageously living a meaningful life as gandhi said be the change you wish to see in the world get involved today it's never too late to change your life and how you lead